0: Because so much of money is tied with our values and also tied with our emotional experience, if we can learn to process our emotions in productive ways, then we have much better chance of actually doing things differently with our money.
1: Will you outlast your money? Do you stay awake at night worrying about providing for your
0: family? Are you making the right decisions about your investments? There are many life-changing decisions that arise and questions you want answered when going through divorce or after
1: you've received your settlement. This is the Financially Ever After podcast, where you'll hear stories of women like you and get advice from the industry's top professionals.
0: Here's your award-winning and nationally recognized host, Stacey Francis.
1: Welcome to Financially Ever After. I am your host, Stacey Francis president and CEO of Francis Financial. And today we are talking money and emotions. Yes, the topic that no one ever talks about or wants to talk about. But I have someone here who is game. Nate Astley is the founder of Relational Money. He's a licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a certified financial therapist. And don't worry if you don't know what that means. We're going to tell you all about what that looks like and what a certified financial therapist really does. He's a member of the board of directors of the Financial Therapy Association, and you've seen him around because he's been on CNBC, USA Today, Air Trade, Acorns, and several other major outlets talking about his work with couples and all around money. He specializes in dealing with financial conflict and financial trauma among couples, which I know quite a few of you listening today are dealing with exactly just that. He talks about situations of going through divorce where money has been used as a tool for controlling someone, a tool for demeaning someone, and how you can take back your power and advocate for yourself for your new life. He also talks about at the very end a resource and a exercise that you can use to help you regulate your emotions, particularly around money. We all know that divorce is about money, at least a big part of it, and that sometimes, many times, our spouses try to push our buttons. So with this exercise, Nate gives you the tools to keep yourself centered, present and able to effectively advocate for yourself. So without further ado, please help me welcome our special guest today, Nate Astley, a fantastic both licensed marriage and family therapist, as well as a certified financial therapist. Nate, I'm so excited to have you here because you bring such a different aspect to talking about money. And for all of you listening, Nate's superpower is not only a a couple's relationship therapist, but he is a certified financial therapist. So I'm just going to start off, Nate, welcome, welcome. And tell us, what is a certified financial therapist? What do you do? What do you do every day?
0: I talk about money and I talk about the feelings that we have around money. So most of my clients are looking for therapy or therapy-esque services, where we're talking through particular issues that they're having. A lot of what they're bringing to me is financially focused. So maybe they've had a recent job loss, or they're going through a divorce, or some other financially impactful event has happened, or they have experience of financial trauma but they grew up in a certain way that finance is just icky and it's hard to deal with. So my job is to help them in conjunction with, you know, say someone like a financial planner working through a plan. My job is to help them work through all the fun, emotional parts of dealing with with our money, which is a lot. And it, it can be really scary to do. And I know for
1: us, when we think about our clients, I mean, money divorce emotions those are three words that go together and i feel like particularly going through divorce there are so many aspects but a big a big piece is money you talk about you know financial trauma you talk about money also being used as a weapon can you talk more about how you've seen that play out during a divorce between
0: couples it is it's really un- unfortunate the truth is is money might have been used as a weapon Before the couple is getting divorced as well, money has a lot of different meanings for different people. For some of us, money is kind of this necessary evil. We go, we make money so that we can live the life that we want. For others, money represents security and it represents the feelings of safety like, okay, we're going to be okay. And for others, it's a show of power. It's a way that we can assert dominance or try and assert our influence over another person. One of the first things, place that I go through when someone is going through a divorce and they have significant financial disturbance is there's not just one, but what are some of the emotions that you feel? Tell me more about anger. Tell me more about fear. Tell me more about sadness. Tell me more about grief. A lot of times these emotions latch themselves on to financial situations that we're dealing with. I'm not just trying to deal with my partner's behavior. I'm also trying to deal with my own emotional response to it. And it's tough. It is really, really tough to deal with our emotions. It's not to deal with them anyway, but then put it on top of a really, really difficult life circumstance like divorce, it can be really overwhelming.
1: I have so many questions. How would someone who has been in a relationship where money has been used by their partner to control them or for dominance, how do they then come to the negotiation table, not being behind the eight ball, you know, having the courage, having the power, having the confidence, having the strength to essentially change their role or that maybe they had for five, 10, 20, 30 plus years where he's been the one has used money as a tool to control or or even maybe not even control, but he's been the earner. And so he has put a greater value on himself because of that.
0: Yeah. And let's start small. A big thing to get started is getting support systems. because. Yeah. Of course, not every divorce is the same and not every divorce is money going to be used as this power play. I think this is for certain types of relationships where it's not an amicable divorce. It's it's nasty. Mm -hmm. So, you know, just putting that disclaimer out there, but start with support systems. Now, these can be professional support systems. If you have a lawyer or a mediator or someone that's willing to advocate for your needs, Mm -hmm. absolutely can be really, really important. But this is also other support systems, friends, family, the stranger in the park, whoever it is that can validate your needs. Because if the divorce is going the way that, you know, that we're saying it's going where it's really negative and there's nasty fights over who gets what money and all that kind of stuff, that person is going to be learning to take themselves seriously, maybe for the first time in a long time. So it's probably unrealistic to say you've got to do it all on your own. Getting that help is going to be important.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I, I so agree with you. I find that if someone we're working with, they've had an unhealthy relationship with their partner, particularly around money, that the divorce process is that much harder. And if anyone needs support, it's them because they're assuming a new role. A great role, a role where they're standing up for themselves, for their values, for their worth, but it's a new identity and it's not necessarily easy to make that transition. And, you know, I think about all the support I need in my life. It's a whole lot, let alone I'm not dealing with a trauma on top of it.
0: Yeah. And if I can just say that as a more maybe hopeful kind of phrase, someone who's going through this battle of divorce, it feels like a battle. Are there other areas of your life where you have felt more in charge or felt like you have been able to take back the power a little bit and feel like, you know what, there were some things where I did say that's enough. That's yeah. not okay. And I, I was able to set a boundary or something, even if money is a new, you know, aspect of where you're trying to empower yourself again. You have done brave things before you have done things where you've had to look fear Metaphorically in the eye, and choose to keep fighting for you because you are valuable enough to have that fight. Now, I would say there's no real right or wrong way to do a lot of things, but is that something that's difficult for you to tackle money stuff? See if you can connect with other parts of yourself that have done hard things before and channel that as you're going into this new scary situation.
1: I think it's so interesting. I I just love talking about this subject because what we're talking about is a piece of paper, right? A bill, a dollar bill or a 10 dollar bill or a 100 dollar bill or whatever that might be or, you know, a type of metal that's in a coin, but there's so much behind it. And I will share one of my biggest struggles that I have had around money is feeling Worthy of earning it, and when I first started my business, so this was twenty years ago, you know the positive about having your own business is that you can make your own success at the same time. I guess maybe one of the negatives would also be that you can not make your success too, and so much of what you can achieve is what you believe you deserve, and I have worked so hard so hard on having myself feel worthy of making money and knowing that if I'm a wealthy person I'm a good person and whether I have money or I don't have money doesn't in any way impact my value and that's just my microcosm and and that's because of the way I was raised that people who had lots of money really lots of money in fact, I hear people speak negatively about ultra wealthy, about how they should be spending their money. You know That was kind of my household. And so all of a sudden, I looked at those people and say, I, I should not be one of those people mm-hmm. because my family looks at them differently and not in a nice way. That's just one sliver of America and one person's family experience. But so many of us were cocooned in our money DNA built as we grew up. And here we are now operating in a world where whether we know it or not, that's impacting all of our money decisions. Do you see that? And how do you see emotions playing out? How do you see people's upbringing impact their money beliefs, how they deal with money, how they spend money or not spend money, talk about money or don't talk about money, feel worthy or don't feel worthy of money, all those pieces?
0: Juan, I appreciate you sharing because it's Even if you've been doing it for a while, sharing our personal stories, can be a vulnerable feeling. And you're absolutely right. The way we're raised, there's a ton of different factors that impact how we experience money. So for example, how you were raised, how did your parents treat wealth? How did they treat wealthy people? What messages, what explicit messages did you get around money? You know, where when your mom or dad or whoever saw a wealthy person, did they make a little comment to you? Because that has a huge impact on how we are taught to see other groups of people. But it's not just about what they say. It's about what they don't say as well. Did you see conflict around how money was spent in in your own home? Did you see your parents assign their worth to money? So again, this is just one part of it. Another really, really big part of how we experience money is our gender. The messages that we get as a man, you know, I'm a white man. So I got certain messages that a Black woman might not have regarding worth, regarding appropriate uses of money versus not appropriate uses of money. There's so many values that go with our finances that it can be really hard to disentangle all the different pieces.
1: You're so right. All these messages that we get and so interesting because so in our family, I'm the breadwinner. My husband has a phenomenally good job as well. He's at Goldman Sachs. He's doing phenomenally well. And it's just knock on wood, I have my own business and i've been able to even you know increase that savings and that that earnings but what i have found because it feels not very feminine to be the breadwinner i find that i overcompensate by being the perfect mom i'm the mom that bakes cookies i'm the class parent i make dinner every single night and if i can't make dinner i try and order a service so that they can help me prep so that my children have a Beautiful meal every single night. And I realized that while I love doing it, I also realized that I hold myself to a standard that's just really not attainable. Why are we doing that from trying to make up for the fact that I'm the breadwinner? Right. And so it's fascinating how we compensate. And it might be the opposite it might be that you're the stay at home parent. And so you're overachieving in all of your stay at home. Responsibilities and overtaxing yourself that way too, and not getting help that maybe you desperately do need. I just think it's so fascinating how so much of our life can be dictated about how we think about money and our role with money and what we're earning or we're not earning.
0: I think it's fascinating. Once you finally have the, I don't know how to say, it, like veil lifted, and you finally, yeah. my money is hugely impacting my how I experience life. It's almost obvious. Like, of course that stuff matters. But one of the difficult things is because we have so much meaning behind money and financial decisions and you know, things like our roles. And I, just for your listeners, a really great book its called Fair Play. It's about valuing unpaid labor that oftentimes women typically provide more and yeah. Their sexual relationships valuing unpaid labor as equally as paid labor because that's something we forget is if it's really easy, really easy to get second well my partner made all that money and I didn't make the money so I don't have as equal to say but that partner was only able to make that money because you were doing the other things that they needed to succeed at their work you know if you have kids, Childcare, it's cleaning, it's not just the what we call the physical load of actually doing the task, but it's the mental and emotional load as well of having to remember all of these things, being the house secretary. And again, I'm going a little bit on stereotype, but the point is is unpaid labor and paid labor should be valued as equally. And then another kind of thing that I, I do want to point out is what would it be like? And this is totally, you know, antithetical to how our society functions. But what would it be like if our value as a human being had zero to do with our money? Most of us are like, of course not. Of course, people, you know, not making as much or just as valuable as the wealthy. But when it really comes down to the core belief, I don't think a lot of us believe that as much. And if we can get to the point where, you know what? my value is inherently worthwhile. It just is. That is never questioned. Then I think when we then go to actually sort out X money situation or this financial problem, and if we're able to hold on to, this has nothing to do with my worth. This is just a math problem that I can try and figure out here. Or is this is just an emotion problem that I've, I can face. When we can hold ourselves to, I'm inherently worthy, and really get ourselves to believe that, a lot of problems can figure themselves out to a certain degree.
1: You know, and I have to say, I'm inherently worthy because I'm a valuable person, you know, not having it connected to a role in making money or not making money or whatever that might be. What a great lesson to model for our children and how what we're struggling with and the messages that we've been taught and we're kind of rumbling through and working through that our kids are keenly listening and observing and how powerful it would be. Give them the opportunity to, to have a healthy relationship with money, a healthy relationship, because so many of us didn't. And all of you listening, so I, I just want to let you know, Fair Play, Game-Changing Solution for When You Have Too Much to Do. It's a great book. There's also a deck for couples conversations for prioritizing what's important. The author is Eve Rodsky. Um, We're going to put that in the show notes too. So you can get a link to that so you can buy it. It looks fabulous, Nate. And I think it's a a great resource for us. Talking about resources, so much of this that you just shared was once we talk about it, And kind of peel back the onion. It's like, ah, this makes sense why I'm acting this way or why I feel this way. But getting to the bottom of who we are and why we think about money or behave around money a certain way is not something that you just fall upon. And I know that you have some exercises that could benefit our listeners of really. Thinking more about that money awareness and having more mindfulness about the role money has in our
0: life and working towards what we want that role to be. I appreciate you bringing that up because having insight or knowing that you have certain money beliefs or certain money expectations or whatever we want to call them, knowing that you have them is a good start. It really is. But the other piece, I think, and there's Lots of different pieces, but another important piece is emotional regulation skills. Because so much of money is tied with our values and also tied with our emotional experience. If we can learn to process our emotions in productive ways, then we have much better chance of actually doing things differently with our money. So one thing I, I do with a lot of my clients when they're first starting out and they might have a certain degree of insight into their financial messages or things they had growing up or or even in the present day is, all right, let's get in touch with some of our emotional reactions to money. So what I might have them do, and if you're listening, I'll encourage you to do this right now as well. I want you to think about the last time that you spent money. It could be anything. It can be I spent money on buying groceries or a candy bar. It can be I spent money buying something that I like, you know, whatever it is. I want you to think of the emotional state that you were in when you purchased it, before and after. So was I happy and so I wanted to celebrate and do something for myself. Was I sad? And so I was kind of just trying to feel a little bit better. Was I scared? And so I was trying to buy something that would help reduce that fear. And then after you bought the item or whatever it was, did the emotion change? It might have changed for a little bit and then it came back later. Or maybe, no, it actually changed and I got what I wanted to and I have no regrets. Great. The important thing here is, are my financial decisions affecting my emotions in the way I hope that they can? Sometimes we get really down on ourselves when we spend money to make ourselves feel better. I don't think that's really necessary. I actually think it can be really damaging because it throws us into a shame spiral. But having, using money to mollify and soothe our emotions isn't necessarily a bad thing. Is it being effective? Is it doing what I hope it can do for longer periods of time? And then, okay, let's say that my client does this activity and I say, great, let's take that emotion, sadness, fear, anger, happiness, Are there other ways that you know how to meet the need of that emotion besides just spending money? What else helps you when you're feeling sad? I want to call my mom when I get a hug when I Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. read my favorite book.
1: It's interesting because I find food is another for some people. When you're feeling sad, maybe wanting a snack when you're feeling happy one to celebrate with a dessert. I mean, it's interesting because money and food can both have those emotions as well. And it's higher stakes for the women who are listening on this call right now, money and emotions, because they're going through one of the most traumatic times of their life. They're going through a divorce. And so much of divorce is about money and the emotional regulation skills that you talk about and learning how to process those emotions so that he can't push your buttons, he can't use money to control you or money to threaten you. Being able to be your best, strongest self as you go into advocating for yourself and what that settlement agreement should be is so
0: important and so key. Yeah, absolutely. Well, obviously, I'm biased here. So I'm very pro therapy.
1: (laughs) Exactly. I have to say, I've worked with therapists throughout my life. And, you know, I always look at how can I be better? And sometimes we can't see what's in front of our face. And sometimes it's buried very below. And so I so agree about working with someone like you. And I will just say, I have referred our clients to financial therapists like yourself. And the 180 degree turn around in their overall life happiness is so powerful, so powerful. And it's not that they are all of a sudden a wealthy person or not a wealthy person, not even about what's in their bank account. It's about figuring out how to live their best life, the role that money should have in it, And then working towards that. And when they're dealing with a divorce, being able to stand up for themselves, value themselves, advocate for themselves, and make sure that that settlement agreement puts them on the path to the secure financial future that they totally, truly deserve. It's Mm -hmm. really powerful. And I think in the divorce process, we talk about, of course, a matrimonial attorney. We'll talk about possibly a, a financial like myself, but we don't talk about therapists as much. It's really fascinating to me and how important that role is,
0: how important. If you'll allow me to take us kind of a place I think is important because you bring up the word trauma and absolutely when trauma is perfectly fits what divorce can be like, our brains are programmed to keep us alive and to keep us surviving. That is like their number one goal. So when people are going through traumatic experiences, sometimes our brain hijacks our thinking center and we respond in ways that we think will help us survive best. The reason I'm bringing this up is it's easier said than done when we're like, yeah, let's work on emotional regulation skills because sometimes we just don't have that in us. So, if I can give one thing for people experiencing those kinds of responses where they're just simultaneously bursting into tears or they're having panic attacks like they never did before, or it's harder to connect in meaningful ways with relationships, or they're what we call dissociating, where they kind of feel like they're leaving their body. If you're having those responses, one, absolutely seek help with a the therapist. But one of the best things we can do in the meantime is getting in touch with our senses.
1: You've piqued my interest of getting in touch with your senses. And I'm I'm in a quandary. I'm like, okay, tell me more about that because Okay. <laughs> yeah,
0: yeah. I'm glad I got you on the hook then. <laughs> so Stacey, you can do this and just anybody listening can also do this at home. I want you to just tell me five things that you see in your room. Just five different items. Doesn't have to it give me anything.
1: I have a diet Coke can. I have a beautiful pillow, my stapler, my phone, and a candle.
0: Perfect. Can you tell me four colors that you see? Blue,
1: red, silver, and peach.
0: Awesome. Now it gets harder as we get lower, okay? Three things you can hear. I
1: can hear the wind howling, I hear your voice, and I hear a slight buzzing from my computer.
0: Awesome. Two things you can either smell or taste
1: just had a sip of Diet Coke. (laughs) yeah, (laughs) You've got me, I've got my Diet Coke. And I'm in the mountains of Vermont. And it's a very, very warm day. It's 50 degrees here.
0: And I can smell the pine. Awesome. And the last one is one thing you can touch. Do something nearby you that you can touch.
1: Mm -hmm. The desk I have here is a handmade desk from old, old, old wood that's really rugged. And it's stunning, but super rugged.
0: Great, so not smooth. So not smooth. So it's rougher. Is it? You know, it's I don't want you to lift up your table or anything, but can you tell if it's like a heavy or a light? Super heavy. Super heavy. Okay. Yeah,
1: two people to move.
0: Okay. And what about the temperature? Is it warm or cool when you touch it?
1: It's warm. Yeah, it's warm.
0: Okay, great. Let me ask you: How do you feel now compared to the start of the activity?
1: So I feel very excited. About my room and where I'm at, it's really interesting. Great. I feel more relaxed. I feel more
0: present. good. that's what we're going for. It's the present when we're having trauma responses, our mind we have what we call racing thoughts, and our mind's thinking about everything and everywhere, and we're feeling all of our emotions, and it's a tornado. We don't have to solve the tornado right now, but let's just start with what's happening in my room that I'm in,
1: yeah. Could you be doing this? Let's say you're you're sitting at a table and you are sitting across from your soon-to-be ex-spouse with their lawyer and you have your lawyer and something is said that really triggers you. Mm-hmm. Could you use this tool to bring you back and help you with that emotional regulation skill so you don't let them play you in that way that you have? I don't want to say the upper hand because that that does sound like back to battle, but that you have control of yourself and you feel confident in how you can respond to even some of the most below the belt comments, looks or whatever it might be that they put out into the world towards you.
0: Exactly. And I'll use the word safe. It's not like this is going to solve all your problems but it usually is enough to keep you off the edge of having full on bad experiences. And so being able to, if I'm in the room and I notice I'm getting really upset and heated, or I'm I'm starting to notice that I'm shutting down, just start with, okay, I don't have for four or five seconds. I don't need to pay attention. All I need to pay attention to is how my chair feels in my hand and what's the texture like. And, you know, if, If I had to describe this texture to another person who had never seen this chair, how would I do it? These kinds of things can do a whole lot to help us regulate in the moment. And you don't have to have this all figured out. Honestly, that's what the support system is for, is to help you while you're learning what life is going to be like now. But if anything, you can probably still figure out what your body senses are telling you. And Mm -hmm. if it helps you feel a little bit more safe, then do it. Because that safety is what's going to help your brain process what it needs to.
1: Nate, this has been such a great conversation because we talked about these big topics, which can be pretty meaty, but then also you shared some very important tools to help us move forward in our particular case. And I can't thank you enough for being here. But before you're off the hook, (laughs) I would love to have you just share how our listeners can reach out to you. And I know you're based in Kansas. Are you able to work with clients in other states outside of Kansas?
0: Yeah. So if you're living in Kansas, we can do therapy, which it's a little different than coaching but it's a lot of it is very similar therapy there typically is a diagnosis and insurance will pay for it but i actually don't accept insurance anyways point is is yes you can work with me i do do virtual work if you want to reach out or just need some help getting started my website is relationalmoney.com i'm also on linkedin twitter and my email yeah. is just Nate at relational money.com. but I'm very much open. Even if, even if you don't need therapy or need my services, you just need some resources. I'm happy to point people to things that have been useful in my own personal life and my own.
1: Yeah, no, I fear. appreciate so, that.
0: Yeah. I'm happy to point people in directions that might be helpful.
1: I absolutely love all of your suggestions and. This has been fabulous. I can't thank you enough. And everyone listening, if you didn't have a pen and paper to write this down, don't worry. We're going to put Nate's email, nate at relationalmoney.com, as well as the website, www.relationalmoney.com as well. So that will be all in the show notes for you. As I mentioned, the book that he mentioned will be in the show notes. I just can't thank you enough. This has been such a great conversation. And I really want to say thank you for making a safe space for even me to share You know some of my money challenges. And what I just want to leave everyone with is that no one has this 100% figured out. I'm a financial mm-hmm. advisor. I've been doing it over 20 years. You would think I do. Guess what? I don't. <laughs> I don't. I mean, I can write a beautiful financial plan and put together an investment allocation to die for. But this piece, it. It's something that the we're, we're all working on, right? And there's no shame around that. We're all working on it. And Nathan, I just can't thank you enough for being
0: here and
1: being part of Financially Ever After.
0: Yeah, thank you so much for having me. And you're absolutely right. None of us have it figured out. I don't either. And that's okay. We're just trying to be human.
1: Thank you. And so all of you listening, if one of the top board of directors of the Financial Therapy Association is saying he doesn't have it all figured out too, trust me, we're all off the hook. But it means that, you know, we're going to start our journey. And that's what my hope is here for you today at Financially Ever After is that this is another tool, another resource, another support to help you start that journey to move on and live the life that you really deserve. Because you know what? This is not a dress rehearsal. We've got one go at it. And living your best life is what we all deserve. Boy, thank you so much again for joining today. And we've talked all about money and emotion. And a lot of our concerns about money is whether or not we're going to be safe, whether or not we're going to be secure. If you have those questions, please reach out. Here at Francis Financial, we can map out your financial future all the way out until age 95 with every scenario you could think about keeping the house, selling the house, moving, going back to school, going back to work, or not going back to work, whatever that might be, we can help you come by the answers you need to make sure you're making the right decisions. And just as importantly, building an investment portfolio that can produce the returns to make that financial plan work. You don't have to go it alone. And just like Nate said, everybody should have a support system. We hope, that you would consider Francis Financial when you're building your financial support system. We are here for you. Please do reach out. You can reach me at Stacey, Stacy S T A C Y at francisfinancial.com, or if you'd like to look at the website, we've got some fantastic blogs, educational information, and a wonderful guide for women going through divorce that is free of charge, giving you all the advice you need to make good decisions both during and after. You can go to our website at www francisfinancial.com. Again, I'm sending you the biggest hug that I can on a podcast without having us skip a beat or have internet problems and know that we're here for you. Talk to you soon and see you in two weeks.